fear for many people. And my fear is they have a what I call an intellectual faith in Jesus. What I mean is they believe certain facts to be true. And while they believe these facts to be true about Jesus, they don't really know Jesus, not in a real and a personal way. Their their faith is simply based upon the facts they believe and not upon the person they've come to know. There were two. Let me tell you two stories that solidified this idea for me. One day a few years ago, I was in a discussion about hymns, old hymns particularly. And someone in the discussion criticized the hymn in the garden because, as they said, it doesn't have any theology. And it talks about Jesus walking with us and talking with us. And I asked, doesn't Jesus walk with us and talk with us? God's word says it does, says he does. And the answer was, well, yes, of course, Jesus metaphorically walks with us and talks with us. And I thought, metaphorically, I mean, is that is that legitimately all we can expect in a relationship? I mean, when Jesus said, this is eternal life that we might know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ whom you've sent. Was that a, a metaphor for something that was a metaphoric way to know him? That seems far less than what God's word explains. Another was an article I read. The author was a pastor who had listened to a recent podcast of, of former disciples of Jesus. These were people who at one point had believed in Jesus, had been involved in a local church, but in time had left the faith. They didn't just stop being involved in a local church. They no longer believed in Jesus. They had left Christianity and defined themselves as atheists or agnostics at best. So he was going to listen to it because he expected to get something deep out of the conversation that he could learn. Um, maybe even use their reasons for leaving the faith as a, a sermon series to answer their questions for other people who may be wrestling with the issues they wrestled with. But as he listened, several people, many people, they listed Christian cliches as the reason they had left the Christian faith. Christian cliches like let go and let God. God never gives you more than you can handle. Stuff like that. Now, the cliches weren't the only reasons they had abandoned Christianity, but they figured prominently into their decision that Jesus wasn't real. And the article really clinched it for me that people only have an intellectual faith. Because how could someone else's use of a cliche cause you to stop believing in someone you actually know? I mean, there are all kinds of cheesy marriage cliches, right? She completes me. She's my soulmate, happy wife, happy life. But that one's real. Um, but no amount of cheesy marriage cliches are going to cause me to wake up one day and decide, no, that's it, I don't believe in Kelly anymore, I just don't think she's real. No cliches could make, make someone stop believing in someone they knew in a real and a personal way. And I fear many people have an intellectual faith and they don't even really imagine or get the idea they can really know Jesus. Relationships involve communication. In my relationship with Kelly, I talk to her and she talks to me. Our relationship with Jesus should work in a similar way. We talk to Jesus and Jesus talks to us. A few weeks ago, we, we looked at some of the ways Jesus speaks to us. Today, what we're going to do is see how to position ourselves to better hear Jesus.
So open your Bible to Mark 4, verse 21 through 25 is what we're going to be reading. When you find that, I'm going to ask you to stand to honor the reading of God's Word. And he was saying to them, a lamp is not brought to be put under a basket or under a bed, is it? Is it not brought to be put on a lampstand? For nothing is hidden except to be revealed, nor has anything been secret, but that it should come to light. If anyone has ears to hear, let him hear. And he was saying to them, take care what you listen to by your standard of measure. It will be measured to you, for more will be given to you besides. For whoever has, to him more will be given. And whoever does not have, even what he has will be taken away from him. title of the message this morning is Hearing Jesus. Let's pray. Father, we love you today. We thank you for the opportunity we have to gather, uh, to study your word, to, to worship you. We thank you, Lord, that you're real. Father, you're not just a God who is far off, though you are that. But you are also a God who is near. You are a God who who knows the very hairs of our head are numbered in your sight. You know the length of our days. You know the thoughts we think, the motives of our heart. And you intend for us to know you as well. You intend for us to have a genuine relationship with you. Like Abraham, we are meant to be the friends of God. Like the disciples, we are meant to be the friends of Jesus. To show this to be the case, you sent your son to come to the earth to be Emmanuel, God with us. And after he died for our sins and rose again and ascended into heaven. You completed the promise you had given. And Jesus poured out the Holy Spirit upon us, who is now God within us. Jesus said we would know your spirit because he lives in us. Because we can know your spirit, we can know you. We can know Jesus Help us, Lord, not to settle for an intellectual faith. Facts are easy to know. We could find out facts about anyone, but that's not the same as genuinely knowing them and loving them. Help us to push beyond facts to meet the person, to meet the God, to know the God, to live in his presence, to experience him in our lives. Help us as we look at your word today. Speak to us in this time. Let your Holy Spirit take the word and make it living and active to challenge us, to change us, to strengthen us, to encourage us, to convict us, to chip off the rough edges of our life if that's what needs to be done. Father, we just we are clay in your hands and we ask you to mold us and make us as you will. Do what you will in each of our lives. Only draw us closer to you. Do what you will in each of our lives, but knock the dirt off so that your light can shine through us even better. Make us 
to be able to go out this week in a dark and a dying world and be lights that shine brightly for Jesus. We ask in His name and for His sake. Amen. You may be seated. Now, this passage we're looking at, it continues the theme that was begun in the parable of the soils. It's primarily about how we hear Jesus. The light in verse 21 and 22 is the light of Jesus' words, the things He shares, the revelation He gives. Verse 24 and 25, we're told to be careful what we listen to, what we hear. And these two parables are connected by verse 23, He who has ears to hear, let him hear. Those who want to hear Jesus, they will hear Jesus. Those who don't want to hear Jesus, they won't hear Jesus. So our our key truth for today is Jesus speaks to those with ears to hear. So how can we ensure we have ears to hear? How can we be sure to go beyond saying, yes, of course, I want to hear Jesus, to truly demonstrating, positioning our lives and ourselves so that we have ears to hear and Jesus will speak. The first is listen obediently. Jesus' verse, his statements in verses 21 and 22 are connected to verses 10 through 12. Look at verses 10 through 12. As soon as he was alone, his followers, along with the twelve disciples, began asking him about the parables. And he was saying to them, to you, it has been given, has been given the mystery of the knowledge of God. But for those who are outside, everything comes in parables. So that while seeing they may see and not perceive, while hearing they may hear and not understand, otherwise they might return and it would be forgiven to them. Jesus explained to the disciples they were given insight other people were not given. Now if this truth had ever made the disciples feel like they were better than everyone else, then what Jesus said in verses 21 and 22 would have served as a mild correction for this idea, this attitude. The extra insight they were given carried with it an additional responsibility. What was the responsibility? It was to share what Jesus showed. Right? Notice that Jesus compares what he shares with them as a light. And what's the purpose of a light? It is to shine. People do not light a lamp and then hide it. People don't get a flashlight and then keep it turned off in the dark. Similarly, insight given by Jesus is meant to be shared with others. Now this is an overarching principle For us to understand really about everything in our life. As disciples of Jesus, we are always blessed to be a blessing. The blessings Jesus gives us, the things Jesus does in us and through us and for us, are never merely for our personal enrichment and enjoyment. Now they are that, but not only that. They are given to us so we can use them to serve Jesus by serving others. Let me show you some examples of this. The psalmist prays. God, be gracious to us and bless us and cause His face to shine upon us. That's a great prayer. Something we would all say, yes, I definitely want God to be gracious to me. I want God to bless me. And the idea of God's face shining on me is God to look and be attentive to my life. Yes, we we want that. But notice the reason for that. So that your way may be known on the earth, your salvation among all the nations. So what the psalmist is praying is, Be gracious to us and bless us and make your face shine upon us so that we can help other people all over the world come to know who you are and what you've done. Blessed to be a blessing. We see it when it comes to to finances and other places. Instruct those who are rich in this present world not to be conceited or to set their hope on uncertain riches, but on God who richly supplies us with all things to enjoy. So we are given, again, to enjoy them, 
But notice, not just to enjoy them, instruct them to do good. And the implication is with their riches, to be rich in good works through their riches, to be generous, ready to share their riches. And as they do this, rather than storing up their riches on earth, they are storing up for themselves a treasure of a good foundation for the future. So they take hold of what is truly life. They, the idea is don't, don't trust in the money that we have, the prosperity God gives us. Instead, use that, have it, enjoy it, but use it to be a blessing to others. Use it to serve Jesus by serving others. It, but it's not just in, in financial things. 1 Corinthians 12, Romans 12, Ephesians 4, 1 Peter 4, all talk about spiritual gifts we're given. And these spiritual gifts are things the Holy Spirit gives us and equips us and empowers us to do. But it's never just for us. We are to use them for the profit of all. We are to use them for the common good. We are to use them to serve Jesus by serving others. But it's not even just the blessings of God, the money where we receive, or the gifts of the Spirit. It's even the insight we might give. Prophet Habakkuk says, I will stand guard. I will stand at my guard post and I will station myself on the watchtower. And I will keep watch to say what he, God, will say to me. Now that I may reply when I'm reprimanded. The Lord answered me and he said, write down the vision. Scribe it clearly on tablets. The one who reads it may run. Habakkuk is needing insight from God about something. So he's going to station himself. He is going to wait to receive it. And notice God's word to him about that. When God gives it, he's going to write it down. He's going to write it clearly so other people can understand it. So the one who reads it may run so they will know what to do. Overall, this is the principle of blessed to be a blessing. And it runs all throughout God's word, but is especially emphasized in the New Testament. As disciples of Jesus, we do not exist for ourselves alone, but for others as well as ourselves. Disciples of Jesus are never meant to be a people who receive and hoard anything God gives us. Rather, we are meant to be a people who receive and give. And as we see with Habakkuk, this is also true of insight Jesus gives us, of things Jesus says to us. When Jesus gives us spiritual light, He intends for us to share this light with others. We are not light hoarders. We are light receivers, and then we are light bearers and light givers. The spiritual light we receive is meant to be shared and not hoarded. We hear it to tell it. We receive it to spread it. We take it in to give it out. This is the point of verses 21 and 22. Nothing is given to us that's not meant to be revealed. When Jesus speaks to us, it is always with a purpose. He's not going to speak to us so we can win a debate on social media. He's not going to speak to us to fill us with pride, cause us to feel puffed up in our spirituality. He speaks to us. He gives us light. And He intends us to use this light to serve Him by serving others. Jesus speaks to those with ears to hear. And if we want to have ears to hear, we must be ready to share Whatever Jesus shows. Secondly, listen expectantly. Listen obediently to go and do immediately. But then listen expectantly. Look at verse 23. If anyone has ears to hear, let him hear. Now there are three parts to this. Notice first, anyone. 
Anyone means exactly what it sounds like. Any disciple of Jesus who wants to hear Jesus can. Here's how Jesus expressed it in the Gospel of John. Truly, truly, I say to you, the one who does not enter by the door into the fold of the sheep climbs in some other way. He is a thief and a robber. The one who enters the door is a shepherd of the sheep. To him the doorkeeper opens and the sheep listen to his voice. And he calls his own sheep by name and he leads them out. My sheep listen to my voice and I know them and they follow me. Now Jesus says quite a bit in these passages. We don't have time to get into the focus I want us to see is who he speaks to. The sheep. Again, I mentioned this earlier in the, in the preceding message. Not, not apostles, not prophets, not evangelists, not pastors, not preachers, not the desert fathers, not the especially spiritual, the super Christian. He speaks to his sheep. Now, this is important to understand. This is anyone. If you have repented of your sins, you have believed in the Lord Jesus Christ. You are his sheep and therefore you can expect he will speak to you. But even what it talks about, about listening to him and, and hearing him, the picture in these verses is both hearing the sound of his voice and knowing the words he's saying. This means when Jesus speaks to us, we will know it's him. We will know for sure it is Jesus speaking and guiding us. We will know what he's trying to say to us. We will know whether He is encouraging us in the moment. We will know whether He is correcting us over an error. We will know whether He is trying to strengthen us where we're weak. Whether He is leading us to, to say something to someone or do something for someone. We will understand. It will be clear to us what our shepherd is saying to us. So if anyone, anyone can hear Jesus, any sheep of Jesus can hear Jesus and know what he's saying. But if anyone has ears, now having ears is, is obviously more than having physical ears. We, we saw in the, the parable of the sower and the seed that people heard, that the, 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 the rocky ground heard, but it benefited them none at all. The, the ground with all the weeds heard, but it didn't benefit them at all. It's more than having ears physical ears, having ears to hear, it pictures having a desire to hear, right? So his sheep listen to his voice. It means we give attention with our minds. We prepare our hearts to receive what Jesus will say to us. We are attentive and we're focused and we're ready to hear and do whatever Jesus says. Now, as I mentioned previously, the primary way Jesus speaks is through his word. So the idea here to be attentive, to be especially attentive, to be paying attention, means that if we're going to be spend our time in his word, that we're going to have to be sure we're eliminating distractions. I mean, just I mean, think about it when you're talking to someone, you sit down to have a conversation with someone and they pick up their iPad. Uh huh. Yeah. Uh huh. Yeah. Oh, yeah, exactly. I agree. Does, I mean, for you, does that communicate that really that you're really important? That what you're saying matters? 
Probably not. Or, or how about how about this? You're trying to have a conversation with someone. Uh huh. Yeah. Oh yeah. Oh, that's a good show. I like that. Yeah, yeah. Uh huh. Uh, what? How do we do we hear well with that? I mean, we all know, especially the men. We all know it's possible to hear without hearing, don't we? Right. We. How many of our, how many of the, the husbands in here have had a had a time where our wives walked up to us and started a conversation by saying, "You haven't even been listening to me, have you?" <laughs> hearing isn't the same as listening. What to have ears to hear means that we're we're listening. So now if I'm going to try to hear Jesus as I get in the Word, I'm going to have to eliminate distractions. And I, and I can't give this as a law. Like if you're a sinner, if you do it this way, I, I don't know. I'll say for me, I can't have any distractions if I'm really going to get anything out of the Word. I can't read my Bible and watch and have the TV blaring at the same time. I can't be reading my Bible and have my phone be beeping and booping and bopping around at me. I have to shut the lid on my computer, set my phone to silent, close my iPad and put it on the shelf, make sure the TV's off or put earbuds in so I can listen to, to birds chirping. I mean, I can't even listen to Jesus music while I read my Bible because it distracts me. Now, maybe you're not that easily distracted. I am. But if you are, then if you really want to have ears to hear, you're going to have to eliminate the distractions. Just reading the Bible is not the same as listening to Jesus. Any more than just having ears means we have ears to hear. To read in a distracted way removes what it it keeps us from being able to hear what Jesus would say. So we must focus. We must take time to listen, to look, to be focused on that. Now, any of us, again, we can have ears to hear. If we want this, we can have this. But not, not for the sake of novelty. Not Again, not just for the sake of having an insight to win a, an argument or something. It is ultimately to know Jesus better. That's why we want to hear what He says to us. That's why we want to have ears to hear His sheep hear Him. And He knows them. And they know Him. That's the goal. The goal is always to know Jesus better. It's not to know the Bible better so we can argue our preferred doctrines. It's not to know the Bible better so that we can use it to beat people down. It's not to know the Bible better so that we can feel puffed up by our knowledge. It's to know the Bible so we know the Jesus the Bible testifies about. This is always the goal and always the focus. So if anyone has ears to hear, then the last part, let him or her here. There is a choice involved. We each make the choice about whether we hear or not. And each choice has its own consequence, which we'll talk about in just a bit. Something to keep in mind as we sit, think about this and think about what choice we're going to make. Jesus calls his sheep by name. Anytime the Lord speaks to us, he is speaking to us individually. Right? When he, when in a message there's conviction, that is the Lord speaking to you as an individual. 
When you're reading the Bible and there's that word of encouragement, that is the Lord speaking to you as an individual. To me, this makes it more important that we really focus and have attention. Because it's not, the Lord isn't shouting through a loudspeaker, hoping somebody hears what He's saying. He, he comes to each of us as individuals, as His children, as His sheep, and He speaks to us through His Word, and He guides us with His Spirit, and He speaks to us in this time, and it's just you and just Him in that moment. How holy and how precious is that? We need to think about that. Jesus said he would, his sheep would hear his voice. But it wasn't just for the apostles. It wasn't just for those there. Because Jesus says, I have other sheep who are not of this fold. And I must bring them also and they will listen to my voice. Other sheep refers to people who will be disciples of Jesus outside of the twelve. Outside of those who were present at the time he made those statements. Outside of Jerusalem. Outside of first century A.D. The idea is so long as there are disciples of Jesus, Jesus is there. And so long as there are people who are the sheep of Jesus, Jesus will speak to them and they can hear his voice. Jesus still speaks to us today. And we should absolutely expect he will speak to us individually, personally, and even regularly. But as with so many things in the Christian life, think it's a matter of faith. Jesus said, according to your faith, let it be done to you. Those who, through what has been revealed in God's word, believe Jesus speaks personally and individually and expect Jesus to speak to them personally and individually are far more likely to hear Jesus speak. Those who don't expect that, who don't believe that, who don't look for that, are far less likely to hear. Jesus speaks to those who have ears to hear. And if we want to have ears to hear, we must live our lives expecting Jesus to speak. So listen obediently, listen expectantly, and then listen intently. Verse 24 and 25 says, He was saying to them, Take care what you listen to. By your standard of measure, it will be measured to you and more will be given you beside. For whoever has to him more will be given. To whoever does not have, even what he has will be taken from him. We're told to be careful how we hear because the more we listen, the better we hear. The less we listen, the less we'll hear. Jesus will still be speaking, but we will not have ears to hear any longer because our hearts have grown whole. The, the picture goes back to verses 10 and 11 in some ways. If we continually don't listen when Jesus speaks, we become like those who see but don't perceive and hear but don't understand. That's what happens. That's the point he's saying. He's saying, take care. Because if you, if you listen and you keep listening, more will be given. But if you don't listen and keep listening, then even what you have will be taken away. Now, I really want us to pay attention to this because this is the idea of hearing and heeding. And hearing and heeding Jesus is very critical to our lives. Every time Jesus speaks, we have a choice to make. We can hear and heed the voice of Jesus, or we can reject and neglect the voice of Jesus. Now, honestly, 
Those are the only two choices we have. Jesus is Lord. So he doesn't speak as an advisor. He doesn't speak as one to take his words and consider. He is Lord. So when he speaks, we can hear and heed or we can reject and neglect. Those are the only two options we have. And it is not an exaggeration to say the choice we make is a matter of life and death. Let me show you this. Turn to Hebrews chapter 3. Page 921 if you have a pew Bible. Start in verse 12. We're kind of going to be all over the chapter, but we're going to start in verse 12. He says, Take care, brothers and sisters, there will not be in any one of you an evil, unbelieving heart that falls away from the living God. Now, there's a lot that goes into this. Notice who he addresses. Brothers and sisters. In the New Testament, brothers and sisters is only used to reference other disciples of Jesus. They don't use the the common bro to talk about their friends. Brothers and sisters always and only refers to disciples of Jesus. So he is telling disciples of Jesus to take care so that there's not an evil, unbelieving heart in them that grows in them that causes them to fall away from the living God. Now, we have to see this as a legitimate warning because what would be the purpose of such a warning if a disciple of Jesus could not fall away from God? So what we have to see here is a warning by the author of Hebrews to genuine believers, disciples of Jesus, his brothers and sisters. And he's warning them to be careful that they don't fall away from God. Notice what causes them to fall away from God. It is an evil and an unbelieving heart. So genuine disciples of Jesus, born again disciples of Jesus, are being warned to be careful about allowing things in their life that would give them an evil, unbelieving heart, cause them to fall away from the living God. Look down at verse 14. For we have become partakers of Christ if we keep the beginning of our commitment firm to the end. Conditional if. We will take part, partake in everything that belongs to Christ, everything Christ has purchased for us, if, if we're faithful to the end. It is certain Every disciple of Jesus who perseveres to the end will share in everything that belongs to Christ. What about those who don't persevere to the end, though? What about those who don't continue steadfast in the faith to the end? Do they they then partake in all that belongs to Christ? Well, the implication of the warning is no. No, they don't. So then... The question can arise, what causes, what could cause a genuine disciple of Jesus, a brother or sister, to develop an evil, unbelieving heart, fall from the living God, and miss out on all Jesus had purchased for them and all they looked for at one point? Look at verse 13. But encourage one another every day, as long as it is still called today, so that none of you will be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. Sin has a faith destroying effect on our lives. Sin hardens our hearts and it eats away at our faith until we 
develop an evil, unbelieving heart, fall away from God and miss out on everything God has for us. But how does sin do this? Look at verse 15. While it is said today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your heart. This is a picture of God calling the believer out of a life of sin and the believer ignoring or rejecting God's calling and God's conviction. But notice how this entire section starts. Look at verse 7 now. Therefore, just as the Holy Spirit says, Today, if you hear His voice, do not harden your hearts as when they provoked me on the day of trial in the wilderness where your fathers put me to the test and saw my work for 40 years. Therefore, I was angry with this generation and said they always go astray in their heart, did not know my ways. And I swore in my anger they shall certainly not enter into my rest. This is a quote from Psalm 95. And notice the Holy Spirit is the one saying this, according to the author of Hebrews. So the Holy Spirit is is urging the Hebrew Christians here to pay attention to the warning in Psalm 95. The warning in Psalm 95 is that God is speaking. God is trying to call them from their life of doubt and disobedience. God is trying to call them back to the right path. And in the process of this, they have a choice to make. They can hear and heed His voice and go back to the right path, or they can harden their own hearts. Now, the picture is this. We stray, and the Holy Spirit begins to deal with us. God begins to speak and draw us back. In that moment, we have a choice. We can go back or we can keep going. Every time we resist and reject what the Lord is saying to us, what the Holy Spirit is doing, our hearts harden a little bit. And it makes it easier to ignore that next time. And we do this over and over and over and over. And the longer we do it, the harder our hearts get, the farther we get away from God until we get to the point where we started in verse 12 that we now have an evil, unbelieving heart that has fallen away from the living God and we will miss out on everything God has for us. So the way this connects to what we're talking about with Jesus speaking to us Every time we get into God's Word, whether we're reading it, whether we're listening to it, we are hearing God's voice. We we call this God's Word not because that's a cool-sounding phrase, because that's what this is. And every time we, we get into God's Word and we read it, we have a choice about what to do. I mean, God's Word is always going to bring us to the place of a decision. And we are going to make a decision. We are going to hear and heed or we're going to neglect and reject. And every time we neglect and reject, our hearts harden a little bit. And the longer this goes, the more likely we are to miss out on everything God has for us. This is what happened to the Israelites. They kept hardening their hearts and they missed out on the promised land. And the warning is that we as disciples of Jesus, if we don't hear and heed, we will harden our hearts and we could end up missing out on the promised land to come. of Everything Jesus purchased for us. So how then should we respond to God's Word? How then should we listen intently? For my hand made these things, the Lord says. So all these things came into being, declares the Lord. 
that I will look to this one, to the one who is humble and contrite in spirit and who trembles at my word. I love the picture, trembling at God's word. Do we tremble at God's word? Remember, anytime we read this book, we are literally, legitimately reading the very words of God. Not only God in sort of the nebulous sense of a God out there somewhere, but but Jesus. Now, this is important that we're reading the words of Jesus in all of this as well, because the world often tells us we shouldn't speak about certain things because Jesus didn't speak about those things. But the most basic confession of the early church, of the church of Jesus Christ, is Jesus is God. So anything this book says is right, Jesus says is right. Anything this book says is wrong, Jesus says is wrong. So every time we read this, we are reading the very words of Jesus for us at the moment. So how do we respond when we look at God's word, Jesus' word? We see what it says and we see our lives are out of sync in one way or another. Do we hear and heed? And repent and try to get what's wrong out of our lives and get what's right into our lives? Or do we begin to rationalize? Do we begin to minimize? Do we begin to say, well, the world is is different. Things are are not the way they used to be. It doesn't quite mean that. Nobody can live like that. Well, you can't get carried away with this sort of thing. Or do we tremble? Tremble because the Lord God of heaven has spoken. And we are not living the way He said we're supposed to live. We're not thinking the way He said we're supposed to think. We're not acting the way He said we're supposed to act. Let me give you just a couple of examples. And ask how we respond. Speaking about our tongues. With it, with our tongue, we bless the Lord. Our Lord and Father. And with it, we curse people. Who have been made in the likeness of God. From the same mouth come blessing and cursing. And brothers and sisters, these things ought not to be this way. So there are people, nobody here, but there are people in the world. Who will go to church on a Sunday morning. And they will sing praises to God. And they will pray to God. And they will declare the goodness and the greatness of God. They will talk about how wonderful Jesus is. And then when they leave, they will go out to a restaurant or something. And they will see somebody they don't like. And they'll begin to to chew them up. They'll begin to talk about how stupid they are. And just over and and gripe and complain and and just chew them to pieces. So this one mouth a few minutes ago was praising God, but now it's cursing someone made in the image of God. If that's us. How should we respond? Because those things ought not be this way. Do we tremble at the fact we're doing what God said we not not do? Or do we just say, well, I'm just a plain spoken person. I'm just saying. How do we respond? Here's the reality. If that's us and we justify our cursing and biting our biting other people. We're neglecting and rejecting the words of Jesus. We are hardening our hearts to God just as surely as if we were doing something what we would call more serious and non-socially acceptable. Or, or this, 
The end of all things is near. So, one of the more common things we say now, I mean, I think that we've always said it, but the last couple of years have been interesting, to say the least. And we look around at things that abound in the iniquity that abounds in the violence in the world, and we think, whew, surely Lord Jesus is coming soon. And, and, and I would, I probably wouldn't bet, because, you know, that's not a baptist thing to do, but I would guess we've all made a statement like that at some point. So if we believe that, let's say we believe that, and, and the Word says it's near, how do we respond to the reality? The end of all things is near. Well, God's Word says to be of sound judgment and sober spirit. Right? Sound judgment and sober spirit means that we're not doing things that cloud our minds. We're not letting things come in to cloud our minds away from what's really important. We're staying where we can think clearly and act clearly. We're not letting other things cloud our focus. And part of the reason for this is for the purpose of prayer, to be diligent in prayer. Why? Because there are significant numbers of lost people that we love that need to be saved. So, the end of all things is near. It's true. Have we responded then by being of sound judgment, being of sober spirit, and being disciplined in our prayer lives? If not, how do we respond to the fact that we're out of sync with what God's Word says? Do we say, I mean, you just can't pray all the time. I mean, that's dumb. Well, I need a little something to help me sleep at night. Or do we tremble the fact we're out of sync with God's Word? If we're trembling, what are we going to do? Are we going to hear and heed? Or are we going to neglect and reject? Because we're going to do one. We're going to do one or the other. And if we ignore this, if we justify our way out of this, we minimize this, we're hardening our hearts to the voice of the Lord. Just as surely as if we were doing something that was a more common socially not acceptable sin. In this one, I wanted to go with it. Be careful how you live. Not as unwise, but as wise. Making the most of your time. Redeeming the time. Because the days are evil. Therefore, don't be foolish. But understand what the will of the Lord is. Again, that's, that's Jesus, what He says to us. To be careful how we live our lives. Not like the foolish people of the world, but wise in God's wisdom. Making the most of our time. Evil days and the end of all things is at hand. So don't be foolish. Know what the will of the Lord is. I mean, is that, are we living that out? If, if not, how do we respond to the fact we're not living it out? Do we minimize? Do we justify or do we tremble at the fact we're not doing what God has told us to do? Are we going to hear and heed? Or are we going to regret, uh, reject and neglect? Those are the only choices we have. Do we listen carefully when Jesus speaks? Do we listen intently when Jesus speaks? This word, I mean, when we get into this book and we're reading it, it it's not... It's not a game. It's not a light, trivial thing. 
This is God. This is Jesus speaking to us every single time. We must take our time in the word seriously because Jesus is speaking. We must surrender to conviction because Jesus is speaking. We must think long and hard for we dismiss what Jesus says. We think long and hard before we rationalize away what Jesus says. We must think long and hard before we justify in any way our lives are contrary to what Jesus said. We do this knowing, as Spurgeon said, the same sun which melts the wax hardens the clay. And the same gospel which melts some to repentance hardens others into their sin. How we hear and whether we heed, it absolutely makes the difference between life and death. Our response to Jesus when he speaks, it affects our hearts, our faith and our eternal destination. Jesus speaks to those who have ears to hear. And if we want to have ears to hear, we must give Jesus' words the reverence they deserve in our lives. Let's stand with the heads bowed with our eyes closed. Let me just say, the very first way Jesus speaks, the very first thing he calls us to do is to repent to believe, to follow Him. Repentance is a change of mind about God and sin resulting in a change of life. In repentance, we turn to God from our sin. Believing is trusting Jesus and Jesus alone is the only source and hope for our salvation. It calls us to turn away from any sort of self-righteousness, any sort of self-justification, any sort of, of anything that says I'm saved because of something I've done. Instead, it's I'm saved because of who Jesus is and what Jesus has done for me. And I'm resting completely in that. And then following Jesus' commitment to do whatever He says to do, whenever He wants us to do it, and however He wants it done. If you have never personally repented, believed, committed to following Jesus, this is where... Everything has to start. This is what He is calling you to today. This is what He is saying to you. Come to Me, all you that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. We're going to take a few minutes to pray. If you need to come to Jesus for salvation, you take this time and you cry out. You repent. You believe. You cry out to Jesus to save you. If you've already repented and believed and you know there's ways that you have been ignoring, you've been neglecting and rejecting the voice of the Lord, you repent of that and you ask Him to do whatever it takes to keep your heart from being hardened to Him. And if you just want to know Jesus better, to live more clearly for Him, then you pray like Samuel prayed. You say, Speak, Lord, for your servant is listening. But the altars are open if anyone wants to come forward. Pray where you are. We just want you to pray. When we're through, we'll...